So good afternoon everyone. So I hope you had a good uh, rest and also you know time to integrate the practice more in informal situations in your own home. And uh, this afternoon we're going to start with a guided meditation on anatta and I like to um, work with you on the elements this afternoon. The meditation on the elements helps us to shift our identity from personal to universal. And it's a de-identification, a deconstruction of the usual way how we experience ourselves. And um, you know, we start to see ourselves as part of nature. You know, seeing that we never cut the umbilical cord uh, towards Mother Earth, quote-unquote. And uh, that actual experience is actually very enriching. And when we feel enriched, it's much easier to let go of attachment. That's kind of a paradox, you know. We're feeling enriched and because of that clear, intimate relationship which we are having to something much bigger than ourselves, the fear level goes down and then there is much less uh, need to cling and to clutch to, to that which we, you know, define as our separate selves. So I think the best is to just experience it for yourself. So, you know, when I'm going to guide you now through this meditation, it's going to be uh, body scans and I'm going to you know, lead you from one part of the body to the next part and you don't need to make any effort to experience anything in particular. You know, just uh, follow the, the, the guidance if you feel ready and, and up to it and then, you know, just allow for the natural uh, experience to arise by itself. Whenever you hear, you know, me saying a certain body part, naming a certain body part, the attention goes to it and then we are noticing certain qualities. And, and allow, you know, life to speak for itself. We don't need to, we always comment and put on top, you know, all kinds of stories and interpretations, but we are just allowing life to speak for itself and see, you know, what that uh, does. And then, you know, if that's done regularly, a new picture uh, emerges. So one time, of course, is not enough, but it's, uh, you know, it gives you a taste and then you can uh, take that with you and, and do it for yourself. Or we will also record uh, the meditation. You can do it again if you like. So just start with finding a posture which you can sustain for about 30 minutes. And then, you know, become aware of the hardness of your teeth. Just pressing together the teeth and feeling the solidity, hardness. This is the quality of earth element. Also stands for structure and stability.
and uh, the teeth are considered the tips of the bones and you know that hardness we can uh, you know recognize in all of the bones and the fingernails in the in the body in particular so we're going to start with the scanning on the top of the head just become aware of the sky bones and hardness earth element and then coming down to the neck the vertebrae hardness earth element shoulders earth element one arm earth element one hand earth element then the other arm earth element the other hand many many small bones in the hand earth element torso with the vertebrae and the rib cage earth element pelvis hip area earth element one leg earth element one foot earth element the other leg earth element other foot earth element the whole body is permeated by earth element earth element internally in the bones and earth element externally the mountains the stones buildings outside of ourselves so to say are all the same earth element earth element is empty empty of a self and if we don't ingest earth element as food for one or two months this body will die will fall apart <clears throat> so there's a constant exchange happening and then we become aware of the hardness of the chair or of the cushion which is the so-called external earth element and that's also mixed with water element otherwise it'd be quicksand the wetness fluidity cohesion of water element it also permeates the whole body and we can feel it in the softness of the flesh the blood lymph and all the other liquids which permeate the body and we can start with our feet becoming aware of the softness of the flesh of the feet both feet at the same time 
water element. Both legs, water element. Pelvis and hip area, water element. Torso, water element. Hands, water element. Arms, water element. Shoulders, water element. Neck, water element. And head, water element. The whole body is permeated by water element. You can particularly feel it in the mouth and in the eyes. Water element internally and water element externally as the rivers and lakes, the rain and the oceans is exactly the same water element. Water element is empty, empty of a self. And if we don't drink water element as beverage or water for a week or so, the body will die, will fall apart. There's a constant exchange. And for this water element to function as a body, it needs to have a certain temperature. If it's too cold, it freezes. If it's too hot, it evaporates. And that brings us to the next element, which is the fire element, temperature, heat, hot and cold. And we human beings, we can live you know, in a temperature uh, um, spectrum between about 39 to 95 degree Fahrenheit. So it's a very wide range actually, because we have invented we have clothing and heating and so on. And we can become aware of the fire element on our skin, where the body meets the outside of the space, so to say. We can again, you know, do some scanning and starting on the top of the head, skin. fire element. Can you can feel it in the mouth, the heat coming down to the neck, fire element, shoulders, fire element, arms, fire element, hands, fire element, on the palms of the hands, we can probably feel it too, 
and also under our arms in the armpits, the heat. Then we come to the torso with the stomach where there's, you know, food is digested and heat is produced that way. The pelvis, two legs, and the feet, fire element. Fire element internally and fire element externally which comes from the sun and also you know from burning fossil fuels and wood and all kinds of materials fire element internally and fire element externally is exactly the same fire element fire element is empty empty of a self and uh, warmth and heat is actually motion motion of you know subatomic level motion And that brings us to the next element, the wind element, which is movement, expansion, pressure, contraction. And if we, you know, don't breathe in for three minutes or so, the body cannot sustain itself. And we can in particular you know, become aware of that process if we turn our attention to the breathing or just to the whole body breathing, whatever works best for us. It's a very vivid experience of that constant exchange between the whole universe and ourselves, the trees producing oxygen, and then using what we are breathing out for their own way of life. So this very complex system of interbeing which we are part of And this body, which is only borrowed from nature, borrowed from the elements. It is entirely dependent on the elements. If there's an interruption in that exchange, then the body will die. and we'll just go back to the elements and form into something else becoming compost and then arising anew 
So this conditionality becomes very clear and it also interrupts the belief into internal and external. We start to, you know, intuitively become aware of the fact that we are not separate. On an ultimate level, we are not separate. Even we do exist as separate entities on the conventional level. So it's both happening at the same time. It's, it's a paradox. And that is, you know, that insight when uh, we realize stream entry, there is this insight into this, the existence of both truths at the same time. Yes, you know, we are separate beings with names and passports and so on, but also on another level we are not. You know, and that stretches the mind to its, you know, limits and then it's something snaps through and bang. There's an opening and the mind never goes back to seeing things as it saw it before. It's like, you know, the ocean is parting for a moment and we see to the bottom of the ocean and then the water floods back in, but we have seen the bottom. We have seen the bottom of the ocean, we never forget that kind of a seeing. Well, you know, lighting a match in a dark room, that room was maybe dark for a million years, but then for a moment we can see and then the match burns down and it's dark again, but we have seen that kind of moment of absolute clarity. And then the body occupies space. And there's also, you know, space in the body, the cavities like mouth, the womb for women, ears, eyes. There are certain openings. They all are space element. Then, you know, you can become aware of the space in which the body sits. You know, listening into the silence, into the space around us. And allowing the mind to open. You know, being aware that the space is not ending at the walls of the room. But is going on. Limitless. And space is the opposite of solidity. 
and it's empty of any differences, it's just space. Boundless space. The relaxing into that spaciousness. Empty of difference. So space is in that context the fifth element. The four material elements, then space. And if the mind wanders off, just come back to listening into the space again. The temporary liberation of the mind. The mind can really stay with that experience, can't think at the same time. And then you're not know, becoming aware of that which knows space. That is awareness or Consciousness, becoming conscious of that awareness by you know, dropping the space and just uh, becoming aware of that which knows the space, like making a U-turn, so to say. Just being conscious of awareness this reflexive consciousness which we enjoy as homo sapiens sapiens, just becoming conscious of it. That's the sixth element, the consciousness element. The knowing as such. No more object. The space has been dropped and only the subject being aware of itself. And there might be a slight, you know, identification with that awareness. If there's any I behind that, just dropping that too, just awareness as such, the being the knowing, empty knowing. So dropping the burden of the ego, 
There's no subject, no object, no selfing, no self, anatta. Empty, empty of self. And the mind is temporarily liberated from any identification. The subtle, joyful, quality of a mind which is not clinging to anything. Now one of the seven factors of awakening, pity. The mind doesn't cling to anything, that joy is a natural quality of the mind or of consciousness or awareness. And just resting as that knowing, being the knowing. And there is a, you know, the Machmanikaya, there is a sutta called the Exposition on the Elements. And there is this sentence, that which you perceive as a person consists of the six elements. Ultimately, there is no person there. Person is a mere concept. And then, you know, maybe we can open our eyes for a moment and just take in that clarity, the natural clarity of awareness, effortless. You know, you open your eyes and you see whatever is there in your room. You don't have to do anything. And if there's a sound, you hear it. You don't need to do anything. And then, you know, closing the eyes again and being the knowing. And then, you know, slowly we come to the end of the sitting and, you know, becoming aware of impermanence now. So even, you know, this sitting is impermanent. You can come back to the body breathing or whatever works for you to just connect with the impermanence right now.
and you're letting it go even a very pleasant state has a beginning a middle and an end and giving it all back to nature throwing it all back to nature which is the rightful owner you know of all of those elements earth element water element fire element wind element space element and consciousness element this person is empty empty of a self It does exist, but it doesn't exist from its own side. It's a temporarily coming together of those elements. So now I hand you over to Laura, who is now going to give a reflection on Anatta. So that experience of that uh, guided meditation kind of invites us into <clears throat> relationship with experience in a way perhaps we're not usually in touch with it, with this body, with this mind. And it has a kind of peaceful effect. I don't know if that's how it was for you, <laughs> but there's a kind of peacefulness in connecting to this elemental level. <clears throat> mm. 
And what's also interesting, it's not that often that we are uh, really feeling experientially the truth of that level. Perhaps when we're shopping at Morrison's or in conversation with our friends. So when I say that, I'm not making a comparison of better or worse. I'm just sort of highlighting the contrast because what I'd like to speak to is uh, the other side of that equation and come back to this frame of the Vipalasa as a way of understanding this sense of self. And I'd like to share a quote from the Buddha. And he says, those who see the arising of experience can't deny that things exist. Experiences of the feelings, the experiences of a Laura or a Sister Santa Cheetah. Those who see the arising of things can't deny that they exist. And those who see the ceasing of things can't assert that they exist. So those who see the arising can't deny that things exist. And those that see the ceasing of things can't assert that they exist. And the Buddha then said, I do not teach that things either exist or don't exist. I teach dependent origination. I teach that things come together and the sense of arising is due to a coming together of causes. And things cease when those causes pass. So this Vipalasa frame is one way of understanding that causal, that cause and effect process. So it's not really about taking a stand on the sense of self. Like this is a, this sense of uh, Laura, my personality, the perception of my history, the perception of a future, a Laura in the future. It's not something I have to, that has to be got rid of or altered or called delusional, <laughs> but it's something that it's possible for me to reflect upon, even use the convention of me and my name and mine, but know it more as a convention 
know it more, perhaps in its conditionality. So I was thinking about how important this experience of just being able to rest into our centre or find that quality of being in our centre that we might feel when we meditate. This kind of steadying and settling and sense of support we can feel as our meditation develops. And it's interesting as we as we experience that sense of calming and settling in meditation, our sense of me and mine or who I am tends to also be quieter. Our sense of uh, um, self-existence, it's almost like it softens. And that's just one really simple way that we can notice the sense of self changes. It may we arise in a familiar way once we come out of practice. But we can see there's not a constant fixed experience there. And yet when we're resting into that quality of feeling centered and quiet, there's still a sense of Perhaps aliveness, hearness, connection. In fact, our quality of sense of connection can often feel more vivid when we meditate. So it's not like we're gone. So sometimes, as an, on an ideal or on an idea level, the contemplation of no self can bring up a certain fear, like almost a fear of annihilation or disappearing or losing contact or connection relationally. So it's very valuable to take this teaching to our direct experience that of just being in the present moment It's not a feeling of annihilation. In fact, it can feel the opposite, can actually feel more alive, more contactful. So I'm now going to just come to this frame of the Vipalasa and talk about how this sense of self arises. That's one frame the Buddha's teaching that describes this. So just coming to the first vipalasa, the first level of this vipalasa on seeing what is not self to be a sense of self. Just like to invite you to imagine meeting someone for the first time. And then you're meeting this person for the first time. 
You're seeing certain images in your field of vision, hearing the sound of their voice. Your mind is in a way taking in data through the senses, through your senses of your eyes, your ears, your intuitive sense of them. And those perceptions, it's like they they are funneling through a certain filters, how we see the other. So we see the other through our previous conditioning of our social and cultural conditioning, prior impressions of people who, for instance, the color of their skin. The way they do their hair. the accent of the sound of their voice. Let's just bring it down to a bit more like the raw data we're taking in. We're literally just taking in sound actually, but we're you know, almost moving to the second one now as well. They, it's hard to separate them completely, the, the level of the jitter or the heart mind. And it's like we are consciousness is it takes has certain preconceived notions what to expect when we see a certain person perhaps we of a certain age also all this is all happening very quickly below the threshold of conscious awareness but very quickly assessing who we're meeting. It's almost like microseconds. And it's interesting that often when we meet someone for the first time, we can have a certain vulnerability in self-consciousness. It's like we're assessing them and we know (laughs) they're assessing us as well. There are certain impressions Ah, turning through the mind the whole time. So with their appearance, their height, their accent, where they are, where we're meeting them, their gender, the way they move their eyes, expression of their face. So this is all sanya, this is all perception, filters of perception. And these filters of perception form into our thoughts, the way we think about this person or our relationship with this person to us our thoughts and emotions. And these thoughts and emotions and perceptions 
channel into a positional view about this person. This is how they are. And when we feel strongly about someone, maybe a politician, we share these, we can share these views. We can say, yeah, they're really like that. That's what they're like. And then it's actually these views that we are seeing rather than the person in front of us. It's these thoughts, these images that we relate from. And it's almost like we experience what we expect to experience. And the interesting thing is in our relationships, we can dovetail. <laughs> we can kind of find ourselves in dynamics where we feel we'll fulfill each other's projections. And just by having this frame, we, it's like it feels true for us, if it resonates with some, oh yeah, this makes sense, it will already start to operate in our consciousness. There'll already be a little bit more awareness next time you meet someone new that this is operating, this apparatus is operating. The Buddha, another uh, sutta from the Buddha, he described this inner activity and becoming more awake to it, a bit like uh, seeing a magic show. And when you're sitting in the audience at that time, watching this magic show, he described the audience being really uh, awe-inspired by this magic, being really mesmerized, like, like in the dream of it. And then one person goes, he gets up from the audience and he goes around the back of the stage and he sees how the magician does his trick. And so he's no longer mesmerized. You can see how it all comes together. And so uh, yesterday, sister was talking about this quality of dispassion, losing the, mirage, the uh, illusory effect of the mirage, no longer mesmerized. It doesn't mean we don't feel, we don't experience, we don't connect. In fact, the opposite happens. We connect more fully because we're not um, so fully in these spins of our mind. So these veils of perception aren't obscuring quite so fully. And we start to see more and connect more uh, intimately with our experience in the moment. 
is something about awareness where it's just can become natural. Like we're just naturally noticing. Don't have to try so so hard. We're just remembering. Ah, this is this is how I get caught in the magic show. We see our minds running with particular views and opinions about another. We can recognize, okay, this feels really convincing. This particular view of this person. We can't necessarily talk ourselves out of that, say, no, I don't believe that, that's just an illusion. (laughs) But we can notice the strength of that view. I really believe that person is trying to manipulate me right now. That's what feels true. You can just feel that feeling of that conviction, of that view. That's what feels... I'm seeing the picture here. And so I like to uh, do a little contemplation when I, particularly when I have a really strong uh, idea or view about someone. And I'll I'll, um, send this contemplation in the notes. So you'll have it there if you want it. So I take this view. So for instance, this view This person is trying to manipulate me. And I just initially sit with the feeling of that, whatever feeling that's bringing up for me and come out of the thoughts and just sit with the feeling, just be present with the feeling. And that can often take a little bit of time, finding that center that can Allow the feeling just to be what it is. It's not rejecting it, it's not following it. It's meeting this effect of perhaps fear or worry or anger based on this view of this person. So we start to see that the anger or the feeling or the emotion has a lot to do with the thought and the view of them. Actually, it has everything to do with it. Rather than perhaps the person themselves. And the valuable aspect of that is it gives us some autonomy about our suffering. So if it's something arising here, it can be understood. So let let the feeling be here. And then I ask myself, on a scale of naught to 10, how much do I believe this view to be the truth? This person is manipulative. If it's naught, I don't believe it at all. If it's 10, 
it's the totality of reality. <laughs> it's ultimate truth. It's ten. And I really just feel into that conviction. And then maybe it's six out of ten. Just feel that holding to that view. It's like we can't make ourselves let go. Something is holding that view in place. Just allowing, meeting it in the present moment, even without changing anything, something may just soften and open a bit. We also might, in that presence, Listen to what am I telling myself that's making me feel or see things this way. So we could start to explore some of the perceptions, some of the thinking and emotionality that's led to this view. It's quite interesting. I often find the scale goes down. It goes down a bit to three or four, just by bringing it into the space of awareness and witnessing it and the thoughts connected with it a little more fully. And then I ask myself, if this belief, this view, I believe it four or five out of ten, what is the other side of that equation like? So if it's four out of 10, the view, what's the remaining six feel like? And what I find is that connects me to uh, a wider mind, to a wider uh, it's, it's so the words that are coming now is it connect there's a connection to the don't know mind. So uh, one of our teachers, would give this regular reflection, not for sure, not sure. Are we completely sure this is the only way of looking at it? Kind of connect to an openness of view that can see things from other perspectives. So there's a really uh, close relationship in contemplating change and contemplating the sense of self. So when we really uh, intimately 
contemplate this sense of self, we can see things just naturally shift and naturally open up. And also using contemplation of change as the doorway to really seeing through this sense of who we take ourselves to be or who we take others to be or who we take the objects in our lives to be in terms of me and mine. So just with that uh, contemplation we've been doing over the weekend with this object that you've been present with. And when you contemplate that object, like I was suggesting last night, say it's a vase and you contemplate, where did this vase come from? Before it was mine, before it was here, how did it come to be? And where will it be in maybe a hundred years' time? If it went back to if it went back to its elements, how would it be? And just notice how that affects your sense of ownership of that object, your relationship with it, and also how you feel with it in this moment. It can really heighten our intimate appreciation of experience in the moment. So I remember... Uh, one of the first retreats I went on in the early 90s, I, uh, it was a month retreat and I was doing sitting and walking practice for the first two weeks, just becoming very quiet, very still. And then the teacher suggested to everyone let go of the formal practice and just go for a walk in nature. And I walked out through the gates at Amavati and across the road to little woodland. And as I entered the woodland, my eyes alighted on this foxglove, this flower. And because of being very quiet and settled, the vision of this flower really touched me, really touched by its beauty. And I realized I hadn't seen a flower in that way since I was a young child. It's like my perception had become clouded. And I was really grateful to feel that possibility of opening again to being touched by experience as it is. Mm. 
So let's just sit for a few moments and then I'm going to suggest a contemplative exercise for you for your time between the break. And just have a few moments. I won't guide this. We'll just sit for 10 minutes quietly together.
gently merging meditation So, contemplating uh, a thought or a view, I'll write that exercise that I shared with you in my notes. So if you would like to use that, you're welcome. But for your practice over the next while, if you would like to, I'd like to suggest a contemplation of looking and seeing. So I'd like to invite you, if you're able, to go out into nature and look at a longer view. Or if you have a window upstairs, where you can simply relax in a comfy chair and just look out on a longer view. You might notice initially that your eyes naturally look at the different objects in the field of your vision. What we tend to automatically do is take in the data, what we're seeing. So no judgment of that. You just notice that if that happens for you. Just notice the the looking, the taking in. And then allow, when you're ready, just allow your eyes to relax. And let uh, the experience more be like a kind of gazing or resting your eyes upon the field of your vision in general. It's almost like you're relaxing back and just letting the sights come to you. You might find it easier to Close your eyes for a bit, settle your mind and open them again to see what works for you. A bit like how it is for us when we sit on the side of a hill and we're just looking at a beautiful view, wide vista. Just be gently curious about the sense that seeing is always already happening. So there's seeing and there's looking, and they often happen simultaneously. And just see how that is for you.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.